Welcome to the Parkway Live Church Podcast. Thank you for taking time to let God's Word impact you. Always encouraged to know God is touching lives through this ministry. Please visit parkwaylife.com to let us know. You can also hit the giving tab to sow into the ministry that you are experiencing. Now, prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Feel the presence of the Lord here today. Feel the presence of the Lord today. What What is... What is church without the presence of the Lord? It's just a social gathering. You just as well you just as well go to a country club or something and, and play golf and eat with the buddies. But the difference about the house of the Lord is it's the gathering of the body of Christ coming together to give him praise and worship and extol his name. And he he deserves that today. He says he searches to and fro for those who will worship him. I want to be a worshiper today. I want to be a worshiper today. He's a winner. He's a winner. I am glad you're here today. I'm excited about our, our fall festival afterwards, but most of all, I'm excited about being in this place. And I'm also excited about next week starting Hey Siri. If uh, Last year, we called this series Questions, and we answered some questions, and it really blessed some folks. This year, different questions, but we're calling it Hey Siri, and uh, we're excited about next Sunday. Be here. Bring a friend. Let's fill this house Let's fill this house up. And, um, but today, uh, on this fall festival weekend, I have one of my dear and precious friends, um, Clint Sylvester. He needs no introduction at this church. Everybody knows who he is. If you don't, you're about to. And I uh, used to have him more on Sundays, but now he is pastoring a church, and a wonderful church called Grace Church in Liberty, Texas. And uh, we're glad to have Clint Sylvester. Now, give him a big old Parkway welcome. One of my dearest friends in life. Man, love you. Man, thank you. It's good to be at Parkway Life. There's some highlight Sundays of my year, and this is going to be one of them right here to get to be with you, get to be with the Keatings. Aren't they incredible? I'll just let you know, before they got married, I told him that she would be the best thing that ever happened to him. Was I right or what? He wouldn't be near what he is without Adina. Y'all go ahead and amen. Y'all scared. I know, but y'all can just amen. That's the truth. I'm already preaching, man. (laughs) And uh, then the... Pippins, the Popek, I mean, just does great up here, just plays the keyboard. But I will tell you about Brandon Pippin. He, yesterday or Friday, he asked me if I needed some Perrier water or something like that, some special waters. He was trying to be all sophisticated and stuff or, or just stupid. <laughs> I don't know which one, one or the other. So I sent back and said, if you're any kind of man, you'll be like the, the, the great men and the mighty men of David. And David said, I want some water from the well by the Bethlehem gate. And they broke through the enemy to get him some water from that gate. I thought I was being all spiritual. And then I get a picture back, and I should have had it on the big screen today. I get a picture back. From him outside his house holding a cup up to his gutter, 
saying, this is the Pippin Gate. So, I don't know what kind of water I was drinking today. He said, do you want some water? And I almost said, no. I don't know where it came from. But we're, So, if I don't do good today, it's the water he gave me. It's on him. But I think I'm standing between all of you and a fall festival and a chili cook-off. And nobody likes chili more than I do. So, if y'all get with me, we'll get out of here before too long. And we'll go eat some chili. And do all those things. But meanwhile, I do want to speak to you today. Just so many great friends in this house today. Thank you for all of your support to my family throughout the years of coming to Parkway. Y'all have blessed us in so many ways. And uh, we thank you for that. And y'all continue to do that as I just come in here today. The encouragement that we receive from all of you is, uh, is amazing. We love you. And I want to tell you. This past year, your pastor and wife came to Grace Church Liberty and blessed our church tremendously with a message, and the, I had people still talking about that message like six months later, and they don't do that with my messages there. <laughs> I tried to get them to talk about it by Monday, but they were still talking about his message, and I started to say, well, you know I gave him those notes, <laughs> but all liars shall have their part in the lake of, and so I didn't want to go there. But let's, let's look at some scriptures here today. Psalms 143, 1 through 2. You know what, you can sit down. There's no use you standing today. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to read these verses of scripture from the message version just because I love the setting of it here. Psalm 143, 1 through 10 this is a psalm of David, and it says this, Listen to this prayer of mine, God. Pay attention to what I'm asking. Answer me. You're famous for your answers. I love that right there. God ever answered you? He ever provided something for you? He said, do what's right for me. But don't, please don't, haul me into court. Not a person alive would be acquitted there. The enemy hunted me down. He kicked me. He stomped me within an inch of my life. Some of you have been hunted down. You've been kicked by the enemy. You've been stomped by the enemy. Parkway Life Church was stomped a little bit by Harvey and the floods and all the things that went on here, but I want to tell you that I'm thankful today before I continue on here that you just ought to say, I'm still here. Amen? I'm still here today in the presence of the Lord. And then it goes on to say, he put me in a black hole, buried me like a corpse in that dungeon, I sat there in despair, my spirit draining away, my heart heavy like lead. I remembered the old days, went over all you've done, pondered the ways that you've worked, stretched out my hands to you as thirsty for you as a desert thirsty for rain. 
hurry with your answer, God. I'm nearly at the end of my rope. Don't turn away. Don't ignore me. That would be certain death. If you wake me each morning with the sound of your loving voice, I'll go to sleep each night trusting in you. Point out the road I must travel. I'm all ears, all eyes before you. Save me from my enemies, God. You're my only hope. Teach me how to live. And I want you to get this part right here. He says, teach me how to live to please you. What a prayer to pray that David prayed right here in the 10th verse of Psalm 143. Teach me how to please you because you're my God. Lead me by your blessed spirit into cleared and leveled pasture land. So I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning on that subject. Let me be a God pleaser. Let me be a God pleaser. I, I believe the greatest way to be a God pleaser is to ask him to teach us as David did in this scripture that we read here. A great key to successful spiritual life is a good attitude with right thinking. You know, there's a lot of things that we learn about in life. And, you know, we, we learn about how to just get along in life, how to go to school, then we get married and we learn how to feel to deal with marriage. And and I don't care how old you are, you still learn things about marriage, you know? And you want to you wanna please those people that you're with. Just a couple Sundays ago, I learned a marriage lesson. We, we stopped by a place on the way to church called Kalachi Factory. And I asked Kim what kind of kolache she wanted. She told me what kolache she wanted. And so I went in and ordered two kolaches, or I ordered kolaches. And I came out, and I just wanted a double blessing of God. So I ordered two kolaches for myself. And I ordered one kolache for her. Don't do that. <laughs> Without asking. Because she jokingly looked at me and said, you didn't ask me if I wanted two kolaches. But here's the key that I had to learn. Listen up, gentlemen. I looked at her without thinking and I said, you're a big girl. Yeah. Yeah. I meant she was over 35. She's grown. But it did not come out the way that my mind said for it to come out. So for about two or three days later, everything I would say, she would say, well, I'm a big girl. <laughs> so if you want to please your wife, if you want to please God in your marriage, never say that, gentlemen. Come across a different way. I should have read these verses and said, God, I want to please you. And the way I can please you is by treating my wife as the way you treat the church. And you would never say it that way, God. And I'll never say it again like that. <laughs> but you know what? The author of this text, David, was an individual with just that attitude. He had a good attitude. David had to fight to maintain a good attitude. 
Y'all leave here on Sundays and you go, man, this week I'm just going to have a great attitude about life. I'm going to do incredible things. It's just going to be a joyful week. And Monday morning shows up. Bam. And that bad attitude starts setting in on you. David had struggles, but he also brought them to God. By the way, that should bless us to know that David had struggles. It should bless us to see that the greatest men and women in the Bible, you read about their stories, they had troubles. That lets us know that we are not alone when we deal with bad attitudes and we deal with struggles in our life and we say, well, I'm trying to live for God, but I might as well just quit. I can't do it. No, everybody has troubles. It lets us know our having troubles doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, nor has he forsaken us. It should bless us that our loving Heavenly Father also wants to pour us to pour out our feelings to him like David did in this psalm. That's why I took time to read that whole psalm because I wanted you to see how David just poured his heart out to God. And I'm going to read some more of that psalm throughout my message today. Let's, let's look again at the key sentence for our emphasis here, which is Psalm 143 and 10. He said, teach me how to live to please you because you're my God. If you ever wonder, you know, you think, well, what does that mean? You're reading it from the message version. Here's what the King James Version says about this same verse. It says, verse 10, teach me to do thy will. So King James wrote, teach me to do thy will for thou art my God. The message says, teach me to live to please you. So the way you please God is by doing the will of God in your life. And not because of what God does for you, but because simply He is your God. If you're going to serve God just based off of all the things that He gives you, you're going to be messed up because you're going to want any more than you could ever get in life. But sometimes you just got to say, He's God and I want to please Him. And I want to live for Him. So ultimately, the, to, the best way to please God is just to do His will. This is the heart of David's great success in life. Even when he was facing adversity, as hopefully you'll see as I share this word with you today, David still wanted more than anything to learn how to please God. And that's just not something that you simply get when you get salvation in your life. David said, I need you to teach me. So it's something you've got to ask God to teach you and show you. It's not just going to be some bam and you're just automatically pleasing God. It's not all something automatically that you do that you just, just all of a sudden you're saying, well, I'm just pleasing God. No, it's something you've got to learn on a daily basis. And you'll never learn everything about it. But you've got to keep seeking that in your life. Because when you look, it's no wonder that the Bible says this of David in the book of Acts. Acts 13, 21 through 22. Then the people begged for a king. And God gave them Saul of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with who? David. 
a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And why did God choose him? Because it says here, he will do everything I want him to do. In Psalm 143, David is crying out, God, teach me how to do your will. Teach me how to please you. And between all of those years of David listening to God and learning how to do that, then God finally sees a man that says, this is a man that chooses to please me. And he says, now I'm going to do great things in his life for one reason, because he will do everything I want him to do. We can choose to be like Saul who was removed from the throne because he wouldn't do what God wanted him to do. Or we can be like David, a man who had a heart for God and who wanted to do everything that God wanted him to do. That one decision will make all the difference in our life. And it will make a difference in our life to come. The greatest aspiration in life is to do what God wants you to do. It's not too late for you today to decide to seek this for your life. The 143rd Psalm says it gives us at least two clues to how God teaches us to do His will. Look at Psalm 143 with me in verses 1 through 6. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my plea. Answer me because two reasons. You are faithful and righteous. Notice here, the basis of God's response is not our rights. Don't feel like that you just have a right that God has to bless you. No, the reason God responds to us is because of his attributes and who he is. David understood the faithfulness and the righteousness of God. And that's what made a difference in his life. Verse 2, he said, don't bring your servant to trial. Compared to you, no one is perfect. David was looking for an audience in front of the mercy seat, not the judgment seat. Then verse 3, he said, my enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground. He forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I'm, I'm, I am losing all hope and I am paralyzed with fear. I remember the days of old. I ponder all the great works. I think about what you've done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for rain. And then it says interlude. The interlude here are Selah, as the King James Version says, is because this was probably a time for the instrumental part of David's song. He probably played on the harp while his listeners could soak in what had already been sung about. Somewhere you need to have some pauses in your life while you're doing what God wants you to do, where you just sing unto the Lord. Amen? Now, not everybody needs to be on the worship team, because some of us just can't sing. I'm just honest with you. But it does, you don't have to be able to sing good to sing in your own private times. 
It's kind of like me when I was in Sherman, Texas, and I was, I was driving a school bus. I had a school bus route for a little while there. And one Sunday morning, or one Monday morning, I was driving to work, and I had a little green Nissan pickup that the speakers would rattle. But for some reason that morning, I turned on a song, and I had the speakers pumping, you know. And it was singing, the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. I feel it in the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. And about that time, while I'm singing this, sleepily driving to do my bus route, some guy runs a stop sign and plows into the side of my car. Now, I want to tell you, at that moment, I was glad I was singing, the presence of the Lord is here, instead of, I've got friends in low places. <laughs> it makes a difference what you're singing about in your Selah moments. It makes a difference what you sing about in your heart and soul and in your family's life when you're going through adversities. Because the cop, when he pulled over and he got out, he said, who was in this truck? I said, they probably heard. I said, no, that was me. He said, man, you shouldn't be walking around. You just got broadsided in the side. And I said, the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. I think he thought I was drunk that early in the morning. But I said, man, I was singing that song. And he said, well, I'm glad you were doing that because somebody was helping you out. You know what I decided a long time ago? That I was going to do my best to be a God pleaser. I was going to do my best in whatever I was facing, whatever I was going through, that I want to learn how to please God. So whatever song you get in your heart, Whatever song you get in your soul, make sure you've got a song that you can sing. I can rap too. They call me Major C sometimes in Liberty. <laughs> there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't stop. That's all I got. Amen? That's all I got. So whether you rap, or whether you sing, whatever it is, I just want some of you to get a song in your heart that's going to help you through your tough times because David faced them and you're going to face them. May not get to come back after rapping here today. But let's think about how God helps us to learn how to please Him as described in these verses. It would seem that David's trials made him thirsty for God. It would seem that his trials made him more thirsty to do what God wanted him to do. Any follower of Christ who has ever been through serious difficulty can identify with these verses. But especially notice the sixth verse. It says, I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched lands thirst for rain. What a description of spiritual thirst. What made David so thirsty for God? His problems had knocked him to the ground and forced him to live in darkness. Verse 3. He was losing hope. He was paralyzed with fear. Verse 4. 
He was living off the fuel of past victories because he had no present success in verse 5. I read about in the past few years when shark attacks seem to grow in intensity along some of our nation's beaches that you could find quite a few studies about them. One expert said that an unusual trait of some varieties of sharks was that their length was determined by their environment. You could actually take a shark that was six inches long and place it in a small aquarium and it would reach full maturity and only remain six inches long. But if left that same shark in the vast expanse of the ocean, it would grow to its usual length of six to eight feet. So its growth to maturity was determined by the environment that it was in. On human terms, we can stay in the aquarium of life where it's safe and our surroundings are, are boring and we say, I'm never going to do, I'm never going to do something. I don't want to step out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do here. And we, we may get mature, but we're going to stay small and we're never going to do what God wants us to do because we're like, man, you step out and things could happen to you. Or we can swim in the vast expanse of the ocean where there's more risk and there's more room to grow. Because I want to tell you, God doesn't give us greater challenges in life because he wants to discourage us, but rather he wants to bless us. He never meant for you to stay small in him. He wants you to grow in him and to have an impact on the people that are around you. But you've got to decide what opportunity that you want to follow through with in life. He wants us to grow with greater opportunity. He wants us to understand that adversity shouldn't destroy us, but adversity should make us thirsty for God. Getting out of our comfort zone every once in a while makes us search for God and His will. What can I learn from God in my adversity? That'd be a good question for Hey Siri. I'm thinking about dropping some questions in there before I leave next today. Just see if Pastor Keaton squirmed next week. <laughs> Not really. That's a great series. That's good to do. Not many pastors will open up and answer questions you ask. That's awesome. But what can I learn? From God in my adversity. How many times have you asked that question? You say, well, you don't know what adversity is. Yeah, most of you know, some of you don't. About eight years ago, seven years ago, I went through cancer. Like some of you have here. I was at MD, I got the welcome packet to MD Anderson. It's not the welcome packet you want. I remember laying down on that radiation table the first time. It was one of my greatest adversities in life. My daughter's asking me, Daddy, are you going to die? Because they hear people with cancer die. But I lay down on that radiation table, and they asked me, said, what kind of music do you want to listen to? And I said, I want Christian music. And I lay down there, and you know what song 
the very first song during my Selah moment on that table. They started singing Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God. Sing with me, How Great. Now they told me I couldn't move, so I had to lay still. My head was under this crazy mask. I had this big mouth guard. I was locked down to that table. But inside of my mind, I'm going, God, what can I learn from this adversity? What can I learn in this Selah moment? And the greatest thing that I can learn is to sing that song. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Was it tough? Yeah, my wife had to drive me every day for six weeks to there. It was tough on our family. But I want to tell you, we made it through it because we refused to let that destroy us and determine our future. We said, I want to expand and I'm going to change my environment. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I need more understanding for the trouble of others? I've been able to help people that go through storms. I've been able to help people that go through cancer. Do I need more long-suffering with others when they go through trials? I've been through some tough trials, and so I'm able to help somebody else. Do I need maturity, endurance, humility? Do I have a teachable spirit? Will I quench my thirst in God or in the alternative options of the world of pleasure, materialism, or popularity? Life is not full of good news. But then again, it doesn't always have to be. Most of us are like the man that came home from work and told his wife, he said, I've had a bad day at the office. Please, if you have any bad news, keep it to yourself. To which she replied, okay, no bad news. Now for the good news. Remember our four children. Yes, well, three of them didn't break their arm today. <laughs> it's all in your perspective about it. You can try to insulate yourself from trouble all you want to, but trouble's going to visit your house sometimes. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You can't keep it from knocking on your door, but you can learn from it. And you can say like David, in the midst of my trouble, teach me how to please you, O God. Now notice what David says in the second half of Psalm 143. He says, verse 7 through 12, come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me, so or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love to me in the morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk. For I have come to you in prayer. Save me from my enemies, Lord. I run to, for you to hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. For the glory of your name, O Lord, save me. In your righteousness, bring me out of this distress. And I love this verse 12. It says, in your unfailing love. Cut off my enemies and destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. A servant's ultimate goal is to please their master. David said, I am your servant. David's heart was broken, and he keeps calling on God. 
So we see that God helps us. He helps us to learn his will, not only in the trials that, that make us thirsty for him, but also in the committed relationship that we have with him. Consider these statements of commitment that David makes in the face of his adversity. He says, I'll die without you. I'm depending upon you. You are my God. I am your servant. Sure, David was searching for answers in the midst of heartache. But more than anything else, he was searching for God. I really don't like it when preachers say this, but I'm going to say it anyway today. If you don't remember anything else I said today, remember this next statement that's just going to go on the screen. Because when they say that, I'm like, why didn't you just say that statement and we'd all go home? (laughs) But it doesn't work that way. But if you don't remember anything else that I say, I want you to remember this statement right here. God doesn't want us to just search for answers. He wants us to search for him. He doesn't want you to just seek him for answers. It's so easy to do that. And we say, God, I just want answers. I need answers. I need answers. And we just seek for answers. But if all we're doing is seeking for answers, we'll only seek God in the bad times. But if you seek God because of his attributes and who he is and because you just need God in your life, then you'll seek God no matter if you're having a good day or a bad day because you'll say, I need God in my life. If the trials and questions of your life have brought you to a place that you want to know God more than you come to the right place here this morning. Life's not all out, it's not all about success. It's not all about winning and living free from pain. But real life is about right relationships. And the most important relationship of all is my relationship with God. If you ever really grasp that truth, you will have an enormous breakthrough in your relationship with God. If there's anyone here who wants to begin a right relationship with God or renew a right relationship with God, I want to tell you today to be advised. He's already made a commitment to you. He's he's already paid for your sins on the cross. And he's already provided all the power that you need to live according to God's will. Many of us want to please God. If I took a poll this morning and said, who wants to be a God pleaser? There would be a 100% probably here today. Yes, I want to be a God pleaser. We want to be servants. But sometimes we just can't seem to make that happen. So in closing today, let me talk to you about what I think the main issue is in our relationship with God. In front of our church at Liberty, on each side are two big pots that hold some plants. They did the flower beds, and then they put these two big pots there so that people would walk in and you would see these beautiful flowers that were growing in those pots. Just a few months ago, those plants began to wither, and they had put them in there, and they were so beautiful but those plants started to wither, and we were talking about them, and we're like, we don't know what happened to those plants, both sides of them. They're withering up. 
And we were talking about, well, we need to get somebody out here to replace those because this is what our guests see, this is what people see when they walk here, and we don't want withered plants by the side of the front door when they're walking in. I mean, if you'll let me reference, it was like those plants that had once been flourishing, now were like withered up. They had been blooming, these so beautiful, but now they're just like, I don't know how you look withered, but this is my withered look. You say, you're a big boy to look withered. I understand that, all right? But she, we're not going to talk about big people, you know? And, uh, but I, I, I'm wi- I was withered. The plants were withered. Some of you today, you want a relationship with God. And you think sometimes there must be something wrong with me because I don't have that relationship that I used to have with God. What's going on in my world? What's happening in my life? You know what he tell you? You're just withered. Because there was a man in our church that said, before we replace the plants, I want to check something out. And he came to the church one day during the week, and he discovered that somebody had turned off the sprinkler system. And so those plants, they were under a little cover that we have over the front of the church, were not getting any water any longer. And that's why the plants were withered up. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with them. They were still had the bloomability. Is that a word? We, you could use it in Buna. That's where I grew up. Can we use it in Lumberton? Some of you feel like you've lost your bloomability. You feel like life's kind of over for me and I don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. And you're feeling like something's wrong and the enemy's wanting to come and attack you and saying, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to root you up, and I'm going to replace you. Something's wrong. But I think what's wrong is somewhere you let the enemy turn off the holy sprinkler system in your life. You quit letting the Spirit of God flow in your life like you once did. And now there's not really anything wrong with you. You're just dry. You're just spiritually thirsty. Because the way I know that there have been times in my life that I was spiritually thirsty. And I would go and I would pray and I would try to worship and I'm like, man, I don't feel that like I used to feel. What's wrong with me, God? And all of a sudden I would, feel, I would just seek God in the midst of my adversity or the midst of that dryness. And all of a sudden, like a well of water would begin to spring up with me and I would feel the joy of the Lord. I would feel the peace of God and I would go, it's not anything wrong with me. I was just dry. Because I've got proof to you today. I wish I had a before picture, and I don't have it. But after about one week of the sprinklers being turned back on, we noticed something about those plants. They were withered up. But little by little, that's all I can do. Until today, this past week, when I thought about this, using this illustration, I took a picture and I brought a picture of the plants that we were about to replace. 
Just about two weeks ago, we were about to destroy that plant right there and say something's wrong with it. But all it needed was some water. And now it's overgrowing the pot, and they're like, we're going to have to trim it now. We're going to take some of it out of there now. I know it's a crazy illustration, but I wish some of you could see yourself today in this plant. You feel like God's passed you by. The enemy's wanting to pluck you up and destroy you. Your, your family is wanting to pluck you up, and they're just saying, man, there's nothing there. But some of you just need a renewing of the Spirit of God in your life. And you will begin to flourish. You will begin to bloom again. But somewhere you've got to stop and say, I need Jesus afresh and anew in my life. Because I don't care who you are, how long you've been serving God, you can be spiritually dehydrated. One of the sickest times I've ever been is when I got dehydrated. And they had to take me to the hospital. And they had to give me fluids. And they had to, they had to get me hydrated again. Because I thought I was about to die. And I thought something was bad wrong with me. But when I got there, they just said, you're dehydrated. There's some of you today, you're spiritually dehydrated. You want to please God. There's a burning desire that says, oh, I want to please God. Oh, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to reach my neighbors. I want to reach my family. I want to create an environment for my kids so that they can grow to like the six to eight foot shark. I don't want them to be stunted by their growth, by the environment of my home. I want it to be a godly home. I want it to be a home where people seek God. But some of us are just spiritually dehydrated today. Let's stand together this morning. So, so what do we need to do? What do we need to do about this? Psalm 143 and 6 says, I will lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirst for rain. Some of you today, and it's some of you even that are serving every week in this church. You can serve so much in church that you forget about your relationship with God. You can get so busy doing the work of God that you don't have a right relationship with God. And you become dry. And you become weary. And you, and, and in fact, the enemy will walk through dry places, the Bible tells us. So if you let yourself become spiritually dehydrated, you're setting yourself up, even though you've served God for a long time, to allow the enemy to come walking through there because he seeks dry places. But you just need a fresh drink. And here's how you get it. Psalms 107 and 9 says this. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul has he filled with what is good. I love that verse. For he satisfied the thirsty soul. As they sing this morning, 
I want to open this altar area up today to not anybody that's some big sinner, not anybody that's just done terrible things, but just some people to say, you know what, Clint, I'm thirsty today. I'm a little dry. I'm spiritually dehydrated. And I want you to walk down here, and as they sing this, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God begins to fill this house. The Spirit of God begins to fill you, and you become like that plant at the front door of our church that we were about to pull out and destroy. But when it got some water, I, I can imagine that plant going. <laughs> I imagine that plant wanting to say, Paul Carroll, thank you for turning that sprinkler on. Because I needed, all I needed was some water. And I wish some of you would get renewed today where this week you would say, thank you, Clint, for telling me nothing's wrong with me. I'm just spiritually dry. I just need a fresh drink. I just need a fresh drink. Amen.